0: Hey, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host Alan Bolin. I'm here today with Hoyt host Evan Williams, who is the Pro Staff Manager at Hoyt, and our guest from the outside is Matt Bateman, who is the National Sales Manager at Grim Reaper. Uh, I've known Matt for years. Evan, you've known Matt quite a while too, haven't you?
1: Sure, have. Yep since uh, since I was in the pro shop in Colorado.
0: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, Matt is an all around expert on broadheads. Well, bow hunting in general. I mean, Matt is an, so everybody knows. So there's no questions here. Matt isn't just a broadhead guy. He is an absolute killer. This guy, I mean, I, I the, the success that Matt has had in the Rocky Mountain West hunting on the Wasatch front, Matt has killed some giant public land muleys uh he hunts all over the west has killed a lot of good elk um even even in the midwest whitetails matt's done it all he's an expert hunter um very very successful but he also happens to be in the broadhead industry and he's been in the industry how how many years matt uh
2: going on here at grim reaper broadheads i'm going on uh 14 years as as the in-house sales manager here so um you know did been in the industry, the hunting industry for fifteen straight years now, right on, man. That's great.
0: And I you know Matt, you and I over the years have had many conversations about broadheads, many debates. Uh, we don't always agree on everything and and that's what makes it awesome. So uh, I know I know Matt has an incredible amount of knowledge about the science behind broadheads. Uh, Grim Reaper manufactures both fixed blades and mechanicals so Matt can give, very honest answers to, you know, to both, both types of broadheads, but guys, l- let's face it. Broadheads are a very controversial subject. Um, if you want to start an argument in hunting camp, bring up broadheads and, and, and people have their opinions and they feel very strongly about it. Why do you guys think that is?
2: Well, um, you know, when it comes to Broadheads, and you're right, it's always going to be a. And first of all, guys, happy to be on here with you. Appreciate the kind words. Um, it's our pleasure, Matt. Yeah, really respect uh, both of you guys, dealt with uh, and discussed with both of you guys um, a lot of different things for a long time. And and uh, really glad to be on here and, and appreciate that. So, um, but yeah, when it comes to Broadheads, I mean, it's one of those things that is always going to be a you know, uh, not necessarily a heated conversation, but a passionate conversation. Um, because ultimately, you know, the broadheads, what, what gets all the glory or all the blame for doing the killing it's the business end of your arrow. Right. And, uh, um, it's, it's the last thing you count on to get the job done. And, and so, um, you know, and, 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 guys never make a poor shot. Right. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if the broadhead does its job and, and, it uh, gets a lot of glory and, and I, I talked to a lot of customers that are just ecstatic about, you know, they got their animal and it was the broadhead that did it for them. And, and then on the flip side, you know, guys lose an animal, they start questioning and, and looking at why they lost the animal. And ultimately the first thing on the, you know, to get scrutinized is the broadhead. Um, did my broadhead perform and, and as we got into a day and an age of mechanical broadheads specifically, um, that even became a bigger thing because, you know, so many guys had this question in their mind, did my mechanical opener, did my mechanical fail me? Um, so that really is the first thing that, that gets scrutinized if somebody doesn't get their animal. Um, so I think that's why it's such a passionate conversation. Everyone has a, uh, you know, I've been in this game a long time and, and been fortunate to, to hunt a lot and, and harvest a lot of different animals. And everyone ultimately has, that's bow hunted a long time, you know, has a story of losing something or, or having a bad experience, um, whether that's related to, to them making a mistake or, or a product, um, some of their equipment and an equipment failure. But so I think that's why people are so passionate about broadheads, um, it, uh, it really that makes is sense. the first thing scrutinized when, when someone loses an animal.
0: Evan, are you passionate about broadheads? Just a little bit.
1: Yeah. Just yeah, are a little you, bit. Are you pretty opinionated? And I am. You know, I've had, I've got into the industry and started bow hunting in what, 2007, 2008, uh, coming out of college and wanted something different to do and a different challenge. And was listening to advice of friends who were hunting whitetails, which I was not doing. Um, I grew up in Western Kansas spotting and stocked mule there and was buying mechanical broadheads, shooting heavier poundage bows with lighter arrows, trying to get speed and increase kinetic energy. And those combinations in standing crop fields and heavy CRP grasses do not work. So, you know, I've, I've had some bad experiences with certain heads that I chose at the time. And, you know, over the years have kind of found some things that worked for me in my setup. And, and again, uh, I'm, I'm opinionated to a T when it comes to my setup and how I build both broadheads and arrow combinations and vein setups.
0: So what, what were you saying about the heavy CRP and crops that would make them not work? I, I missed that.
1: So I've gotten into a lot of situations, uh, you know, CRP grasses, which is a, a conservation reserve program that the right. government will pay farmers for, um, especially in wet years is super, super thick. And going into those stalking situations in grasses that are literally over your head or at eye level, um, trying to get in and, and squeeze shots in through grasses like that with a mechanical, uh, I was I was young, I was naive, I was thinking... that invincible and i could get my arrows through anything so and learn some hard lessons doing it
0: so evan you're you're saying that your opinion is that a fixed blade can shoot through brush better than a mechanical if need be
1: light grasses yes okay yep
0: that's something i've never
1: tested matt have
2: have you tested that ever matt you know i have to a degree um more so um more so, we get a lot of questions, and, and I've played with it some, like the netting on a ground blind, for instance, would be a, a, a comparable discussion, right? Um, I get a lot of questions and I've played with and tested if if guys can shoot a mechanical broadhead through the, the netting on their ground blind. Um, and there's obviously a lot of variables and factors. And for me, I've always had this, this conscientious problem or thing with shooting any broadhead through any netting or grass because I just mentally I feel like it's got to affect it and it's got to deflect right to a degree um so yeah it's it's something I have tested um there is there is no doubt that the one the one thing that with that scenario and a mechanical broadhead that can be catastrophic is if you do hit brush or grass or the netting um, and deploy your blades, or one blade, or two blades, prematurely. Then you guys know what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Your your accuracy is going to be non-existent. You're going to you're you're going to now have a an uneven broadhead with one or two or partially deployed blades out front, and and you're going to be all over the place. So to a degree, yes, uh, I feel like any broadhead, including a fixed blade, can deflect on any kind of significant amount of brush or whatever but if you're talking light grass um, if a mechanical does not open it's not going to affect the flight but if you have that scenario where you hit enough substance to deploy a blade then certainly it's going to end badly so there are scenarios where a fixed blade may perform better under those circumstances on light grass if the fixed blade is able to just cut through the grass but it's not a significant enough source to actually deflect your arrow and your broadhead, then you may get away with it. But in my opinion, in my opinion, it's never a great idea to try and shoot through something. Um, because you know, yeah, shooting through a little grass, I'm not scared to shoot my mechanical or a fixed blade. You hit a little twig, it, it, it's a bad thing. So there's, there's, and that's what I tell guys with netting. There's so many factors, uh, what netting, how tight is the netting, What's what's your setup? Your arrow, your bow, your bow speeds—all of it plays into how much resistance that netting is going to put on the mechanical blades of a broadhead. So yeah, shooting through netting ultimately a a fixed blade broadhead probably give you a better overall result because it's going to be a um, there's not going to be a mechanical blade that could potentially deploy and cause accuracy. Um, But I'm a little wary of shooting through anything personally. uh, Just my opinion. Yeah. So let me. uh,
0: uh, I hadn't anticipated this this conversation at all. This really interesting conversation. Um, you know, when I'm out practicing uh, with my with I when I shoot mechanicals and I'm practicing, occasionally I'll, I'll have a brand new mechanical that you know the blades are super tight, so I shoot them and they stay closed, and I can tell they're closed because my target, the hole in my target, shows the close the closed blades when they hit. And after I shoot, you know, a, a handful of shots or whatever, that, that they'll start one of the blades will start to wear out and it'll come open when the arrow's launched. And that, and I'm shooting, you know, these broadheads at 80, 90 yards. And when one one blade comes open, it affects my accuracy by six to eight inches. It's not right. like a catastrophic thing at all. When like if I'm shooting through grass at 40 yards and one of the blades comes comes open in the grass. I don't think that the actual planing of the blade, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, look, have you guys ever shot in a 3D tournament with sticks? And I'm telling you, a field point does not fly well when it deflects. And we're talking field point. Like it's, it's something that's extremely hard to measure. Like to say like, oh, I had a deflection and that was because of this type of broadhead that caused it to miss. Well, it's a deflection.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah. what did you glance off of? how how heavy was it right. was it a piece was it a blade of grass was it a stalk of corn or milo was it a tree branch how big was the tree branch what kind was it dead was it still living like there's a lot of of variants that can go into that and again by all means i am not promoting shooting through grass at animals no no i we no, understand you, you have yeah. Yeah, you have an, you have an animal standing with grass in front of him three five yards stuff right. can happen. Yeah. And, I, and and for me in my experience i i can get a fixed blade through that at that that short distance from an object this time be it grass to that animal yeah. versus the potential for a mechanical to open up and deploy those blades and then cause that deflection where do I hit him in the gut in the punch? Do I hit him up in the front shoulder? And and now I've wounded an animal and, and may never recover him.
0: Yeah. So that, so this, these are good points. Let's, uh, you know, we're going to get into like a, a comprehensive pro con list today of, of mechanical versus fixed. I think that will be a super valuable conversation to the three of us, but to everybody listening, I mean, it, it, like, cause there are pros and cons of each type. And so let's, let's table the deflections, uh, not, not deflections like on the animal. Cause that's a different subject, but deflections on, on objects, like let's say grass or, or light, some sort of light, uh, vegetation, um, as, as one of those, there's one of those pro cons. Um, le- let, me ask you guys this, you know, we talked about how, how ex- you know, sort of uh, passionate people are about broadheads. And, and Matt touched on something that was super interesting. He said that, that the broadhead ultimately takes the blame or gets the credit. And, and that's, that's a very interesting statement. Do you guys think that that's overplayed?
2: Um, I'll jump in here. Yeah, I, I do. Um, and just coming from my personal standpoint... I, I'm a huge believer that um, with today's modern uh, modern equipment, if, if a guy or a hunter takes the time and the effort, puts in the effort and energy, and we talked about this before the podcast here, I talked about it with both of you, um, how much effort has gone into our setups this year, right? If a guy takes the time and energy to get his setup right and no one understand whether it's a fixed blade or a mechanical, no one understand... What he's putting on the end of his arrow, his overall setup, you've put in the prep work ultimately to me, it always the the blame or the the success should fall on the the hunter um and, and not the equipment because I truly feel if we put in the effort up front, there's just gonna that there's not gonna be issues with no matter what our opinion is on mechanical or fixed or shooting through a little grass or whatever if we do our part um so yeah, to your case in point Alan. I get calls all the time where guys are literally, um, calling me and, Hey, your broadheads are the best broadhead ever made. I shot this deer in the hind end and it died within sight. Well, I want to say, look, the broadhead didn't, the broadhead didn't kill the deer because you shot it in the butt. It wasn't a grim reaper; It's you hit the femoral artery. You know, you got lucky. It was a bad shot. You got lucky. But these guys call me just like, they're grim reaper guy now for life because they got the deer they made a horrible shot on and they got lucky and hit the femoral artery so yeah i think it's overplayed um yeah there are scenarios where good quality broadhead and we'll get into this discussion later i think there are scenarios where certain um, features to a broadhead can save you or help you recover an animal in scenarios where you may not have with a different broadhead but but yeah there's a lot of a lot of scenarios out there where the broadheads really truly get the glory or the blame where it was the guy behind the bow yeah you know it really was and and you can't shoot a deer you know if that same guy lost that deer that he shot in the hind end he might call me and say i hit this deer perfectly and your broadhead failed and i didn't get it that's right you know, I, well, I he may have lot.
0: thought he hit him perfectly. Right. But I he see that it, so
2: much. <laughs> yeah. He
0: knew it was a hind quarter shot because he actually recovered the animal. Right. So right. Evan, I'll give you a hypothetical of the broadheads currently on the market today. Let's say that we had a way of knowing which one was the worst performer of everything on the market today. And you have the choice and you have the the, the, the biggest mule deer you've ever seen in your life. A marginal shot with the worst broadhead, excuse me a marginal shot with the best broadhead on the market today, or a perfect shot with the worst broadhead on the market today, which scenario would you rather have? How much of a marginal shot? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Marginal, (laughs) marginal, man. I'm saying marginal shot, the best. And if we had a way of knowing, right. And there's no way of knowing, but with the best performing broadhead on the market, Compared to the worst performing bar head in the market, right in the boiler room.
1: I I think I'm still taking the shot placement every single time. Yeah, because I feel pointing the right spot is going to do it. Yeah. So, you know, and and yeah, I I, I still it's it comes down to shot placement hands down. Right.
2: And I I, I agree. agree. Matt, you agree with that? Yeah, I think the three uh, of us agree. I do. I can. I, I. In all reality, I have my preference. I'm obviously biased towards a brand because. Uh, you know, I work here, but I could take any broadhead made and shoot through something through both lungs and feel confident I killed that animal. Um, so ultimately accuracy and shot placement for me is the number one key. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And I, and I think that, that like, like you guys were saying, um, bad shots, the broadhead takes the
1: heat a lot. You see that Evan? Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and I've, especially from guys who think they made a perfect shot, but don't recover that animal. They don't know. Exactly. And, and so when they're explaining that experience and again, almost 10 years in a pro shop, I have heard it all mechanicals fixed blade had a perfect shot on this animal. Didn't recover it. Yeah. I, I highly doubt it was perfect or you would have recovered it. Now, I've been there. I made a, I made what I thought was a very, very good shot a couple of years ago, Spot and stock on a mule deer in a standing mile field, 18-yard shot, quartering away very, very slightly. My buddy was right next to me. So I have a witness. Buck runs off, blood going everywhere. He hit an open pasture, jumped a fence. We lost blood. We grid searched a square mile and never found that deer. Yeah. No clue what happened. It wasn't the broadhead's fault. It laced him open. We had an incredible blood trail. Don't know. He got tucked up in a thicket somewhere and we just, we missed him completely. Don't know where he went, but I've heard my, guys my, like that mysteries
0: before. Mysteries are rare in recovery. Mysteries are rare like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, every once in a great while, something just that you just can't figure out. You scratch right. your head.
2: Yep, Alan. I have a I have a question, kind of similar to that for you guys, um, along those lines. You guys have, I know you guys have both taken a lot of animals with your bows and some great animals. Have you guys ever? And I want you to be candid here. Have you guys ever shot animals? And when you recovered that animal, your hit was not where you thought it was. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've had that happen to me. Many times where just the slight angle of the animal or the movement of the animal on impact or what I thought my eye registered at at 40, 50, 60 yards, my arrow going 300 feet per second, uh, what I thought I saw was not where I I really, truly hit that animal. And, And that's a scenario I run into a lot with all these guys that perfectly hit an animal and didn't get it. Um, and then the broadhead is to blame instantly. It seems, um, I, I, you know, I've had, I've had enough experience with animals. I thought I hit and it may be just a couple inches off or I was a little further back than I thought, but it, but it happens. Things happen it, in the blade and I've had it happen multiple times or it just wasn't exactly where I thought it was, or didn't take, didn't take the same angle that I thought, you know, the animal was a little different angle than I thought. So Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and, and, you know, shot placement, even understanding the shape of a vitals, I'll, I'll tell you, um, just recently I outlined, uh, so I, I did some internet searches and got like the exact anatomical, uh, vital of, of, of ungulates. And I, and I outlined it on some targets and I was actually surprised at the shape of the vitals I've been hunting Mm -hmm. A hardcore, 25 years bow hunter, and I, I got to say I've learned so much about the shape of the vitals in the last uh, few months than than I have in in my entire career. I, I thought that a low shot was good, and they are for a variety of reasons. But the vitals is actually narrow down low, right. and it's much wider it, in at the middle of the animal. There's a much wider uh, swath of lung there, and yeah. um. And, and, you know, so somebody hits an animal low and it looks like it's right in the heart. And if it's off by a couple of inches, you missed everything.
1: Yep. You missed Correct. it. And you it's know? the way everything kind of tapers. You know, if this is, if my front shoulder is to the right, um, it, it tapers down into that with the back of the lungs kind of following that rib cage down in. Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
0: all right guys, let's, let's talk about now let's, let's get into the hot topic. You guys ready? It's gonna be sizzling. Let's, Let's do, do it, it. Bring it. All right. Now, nobody get emotional here. I don't want any fights. I mean, I I'll try to keep my cool. It's a good
1: thing uh, Matt's in his office. That's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: I, at, <laughs> I mean, I've I've seen Evan in the weight room lately, and I'm not. I'm not messing with him. Oh man, no kidding. <laughs> this guy's get an animal. It. Get me on the mountain and I'll hold my own, but I'm, I'm staring clear.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just don't let me catch you.
0: (laughs) Right on. So let's talk about mechanical versus fixed. And, and, and I would love to have an open conversation here where, you know, we we all have our preferences, but, but let's give credit where credit's due as much as possible because there are clearly, in my opinion, there are clearly pros and cons of both. Absolutely. Um, uh, You know, there's, um, there's things that each one do a little bit better. And, it, and it's about, in, in a hunter's mind, combining those pros and cons and making a decision for oneself that, that puts you in a position where you're the most confident and where you feel mm-hmm. that your pros outweigh your cons. So um, let's, let's start with fixed blades. What do you guys think the pros and cons of fixed blades? Why don't, why don't Matt, why don't you start off with that? And then Evan, I know you're a big fixed blade guy. Why don't you clean up after Matt and add to what he
2: says? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll come at it from a couple different angles. Um and because of what I do, I can um, I understand the, the science behind broadheads and, and the manufacturing aspect of a broadhead. So so, as far as pros to a fixed blade, um, you know, there's there's a couple things. One, we can all agree, I think, that if you don't have moving components, less components you have, the more simple something is, the less that can go wrong. So, so a fixed blade, a good quality fixed blade, and I want to preface this, there are fixed blades out there that are also junk. So, when I'm referring to fixed blades, I'm talking a good, well-built... Fixed blade broadhead. Um, hey know. Matt, I think that it
0: it goes without saying that there are mechanicals that are total junk and yes, fixed yes, blades that are total absolutely. junk. Right. For it's, sure, so we're talking. Let's talk about the best of the best. Okay. Everything we talk about here. Let's say you know we're talking top end stuff. What right. what are the pros and the cons?
2: Okay. So when it comes to a fixed blade, one like I said, the the simplicity, lack of parts and components. Um, moving parts i mean i can build a tougher all-around design broadhead without any moving components so um there's less to go wrong uh durability wise um i can build a fixed blade broadhead tougher now the gap between those things and mechanicals have changed a lot um and then then there are scenarios i feel where Um, One other big thing that I think where a fixed blade really shines is if you don't pass through and on an animal, um, leaving that fixed blade internally, continuing to cut as the animal runs off is a big advantage. Um, A mechanical is built and designed to go through an animal, give you an entrance and an exit hole, a fixed blade, um, lighter poundage, bigger animals, those kind of scenarios where you may leave the broadhead internal, it keeps working for you. Most state laws require a mechanical broadhead to retract back in the closed position so it can pull out easily so it's not considered barbed. That's why I can't design a mechanical that locks open once it's internal and keeps cutting. They ultimately, all mechanicals on the market by law in most states, have to pull closed when they back out. So if it's internal, when the animal runs off, that mechanical quits working for you where a fixed blade will keep working for you, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's then, been referred to as the, the knife in the chest. Right. And then the, the other side of it is, or the other thing I think where a fixed blade really shines and, and I'm talking a small little one piece type fixed blade. If I square an animal up in the shoulder and I want to get through it or heavy bone. Um, yeah, I, it's physics with a small little two blade inch and 16th fixed blade. You're going to have a higher probability of punching through that, heavy bone versus a a great big mechanical now there's some ground there let me ask you a question on that is
0: now if you had the same size mechanical um do you feel like let's say you had an inch and 16th two blade mechanical compared to an inch and 16th two blade fixed blade Are, are you still giving that advantage to the fixed
2: blade Oh, it'd be mighty close. Honestly, Alan, I, I, you know, with today's and it depends on the mechanical, but I'm talking top end and I'm talking what I know as a mechanical and, and the functionality of a mechanical. Um, I feel if, if you have the exact same sides, the exact same blade angle, when the broadheads are open, um, because that's one place fix and mechanicals really differ a lot is fix usually tend to have a more swept back blade angle versus a lot of mechanicals have a flatter blade angle. But if you had a mechanical broadhead and a fixed blade broadhead that had the exact same cut, they had the exact same blade angle when the blades are open on the mechanical, they had a good solid cut on contact type tip, um, it's going to be dang close. It really is. The The amount of energy to deploy a little two-blade mechanical is, is almost negligible. So there might be a tiny bit of energy loss with deployment of blades, but I, I feel the getting through a, a shoulder blade with the exact same mechanical and fixed blade is going to be really, really, really close. And and
0: so I think the reason you, you mentioned that in the fixed blade pro category is because these days it, with the speed of bows to get a fixed blade to fly, it's typically small. And so we associate that with better shoulder performance because we're shooting a smaller broadhead, which isn't, I mean, you know, if, if we could get an inch and a half fixed blade to fly, I mean, right. well, why
2: not, right? Right. And I I think I think people generalize the conversation of mechanicals and fixed. But if you were to build a fixed blade and a mechanical exactly the same spec as far as cut and blade angle, performance wouldn't be all that different. Um, you know, when it comes side-by-side comparison on penetration, et cetera, it really wouldn't. But you're right. Most mechanicals, the reason mechanicals are on the market and were ever designed is so guys could get bigger cuts and maintain accuracy um, because they couldn't get that out of out of fixed blade broadheads. So a a lot of the reasons mechanicals get knocked um, is because they are bigger. They do have flatter blade angles, um, which physically side by side with a little fixed blade is never going to perform exactly the same.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a really important distinction. That's, that's, uh, that's
2: good. What, what else, Matt, any other pros you see? Um, no, that kind of covers it for fixed blades, durability, uh, you know, um, less more simplicity, less moving parts, um, yeah. on a, on a hard bone hit because fixed blades are traditionally smaller. It, it may fare well on a, a heavy bone type, penetration scenario, right. um, um, you know? So those okay. are those are my short list of uh, benefits to a fixed blade. Evan, would, it, would you like to add anything
1: to that? The only couple of things that I thought about was was again, that penetration. And it goes back to speaking about blade angle. Um, again, the reason that I see a lot of guys shooting mechanical, one, they don't have to tune their bows as, as much, they don't have to spend as much time doing it and then get a bigger cut. I'd rather get stabbed with a pencil than slapped by somebody's hand when it comes to penetration, right? Okay, because if I want to drive that force through, if I want to really get into the vitals, I want that guaranteed cut and that penetration. So a a steeper bleed blade angle is going to allow, in my opinion, better penetration than if someone was to walk up and hit you on the side with a flat hand, because all you're doing is essentially is slapping that animal on the side. OK, um, so I get I get an instantaneous cut. I'm penetrating potentially deeper depending on the, the blade angle characteristics of each different broadhead. Um, and then one thing for me is I can build my wife's setup and mine very, very similar and we can run the same broadhead and I don't have to worry about components and parts and pieces. And did I put the right broadheads on the right arrow. And um, And that's one thing that has been a big benefit for me and my wife is we're both going to shoot the same weight we can bow shoot the same broadhead and even my bows. I mean, I've shot a fixed blade broadhead inch and three quarter or sorry, inch and a half inch and three sixteenths. So right in that inch and a half range with a four vein setup, which gives me better drag coefficients for control at up to 302, 304 feet per second. And I have within an inch, two inch point of impact shift. From my field point at a hundred. Make it make a slight uh, change. What cutting diameter did you say, Evan? Inch and a half. Inch and three sixteenths. Uh, so it's basically right at inch and a half.
0: Well, that would be almost inch and a quarter.
1: Inch and three sixteenths is just shy sorry, of three inch and a quarter. Three eighths. Three eighths. My bad. It the
2: uh, the Hades. It's inch is three sixteenths. Okay. So yeah, and that's one thing I didn't mention. I mean, I don't when it, when you're talking accuracy, um, that would be the other, to me, the other negative to a fixed blade. Um, I know that you can get them tuned and I know that you can't get them to fly true, but it's physics in a windy condition or long range. I don't feel like a larger profile fixed blade will ever have the same forgiveness or accuracy under the exact same circumstances as a a mechanical and a mechanical, even a mechanic will never have the exact same accuracy as a field point can be dang close. But I think that gap grows bigger and bigger, the larger the overall in-flight profile. And that just comes down to physics. To me, it's not even really an arguable um, point. It's, You know, if you take the exact same scenario with a field point, a low profile mechanical and a big fixed blade with a little wind, which one has, and you can do things like you said, a a four blade fletching or a heavier arrow to buck that a little bit and, and control it a little better. But ultimately more in-flight profile is going to be affected more by, by the elements period that that's, that's physics. It's not that that's my opinion. It's not something that can even be argued. Um, so we may be splitting hairs here, but, but that's one big, the biggest downfall to me of, of shooting a fixed plate out West personally. Um, you know, just the forgiveness that I get out of a mechanical.
0: Yeah. Evan brought up a really good point about the blade angle. Um, Matt, you and I have talked about blade angle before. Um, what, what are your thoughts on blade angle? Now I know I know uh, the Grim Reaper in particular is big on blade angle. You know, it, it, from a mechanical standpoint, you guys pride yourselves in in a steep blade angle. Um, as far as mechanicals are concerned, are they? Well, speak to blade angle, and then also right. do, I'm just curious: is it is it still not quite as good as a fixed blade?
2: Well, so yeah, blade angle is. I'm really actually passionate about blade angle. Um, And I think it's one of the most overlooked things with broadheads, both fixed and mechanical, when guys are selecting the right broadhead for them. Um, I kind of explain it this way. The flatter the blade angle, you're you're chopping rather than slicing, right? So you take a picture holding a knife in your hand and you run it into a hard surface um, with that knife at a really flat square blade angle to that surface there's a ton of resistance you're trying to chop through it versus you turn that knife at a, a really steep angle and slice across that hard surface there's way less resistance there right so same same thing with a broadhead mechanical or fixed the the degree of the blade angle is a huge factor in how much resistance is on those blades if you hit something hard bone or or just going through a big dense animal so even with a fixed blade broadhead, um, you know you see a lot of these little short, tiny, stout fixed blade broadheads that are trying to get better flight. Better, better flight because they're claiming short, right? They're claiming they're short, which but which
0: is a factor. I it mean, it is a
2: it is a factor. It, you know, you could have this super <coughs>
0: long broadhead with this amazing blade angle, but you give up accuracy, right? So there's so a trade off.
2: There is a trade off. So you see a lot of fixed blades out there that have this really short design and then that blade angle is actually bumped out really hard on the fixed blade. Um, And and same with mechanicals, Um, you see a lot of broadheads out there that are trying to get a a big cut surface out of two blades. And the only way they're doing that is a long blade with a bumped out blade angle. So there's a lot of if you hit something hard with that, you're trying to chop versus slice. So even on even on and that's one of the reasons a fixed blade penetrates so well, most fixed blades design is because traditionally they're smaller. And they have a really swept back blade angle. Like our, our Hades fixed blade designs have a 30 degree blade angle. Our most swept mechanical has a 40 degree blade angle. And then we have mechanicals with 50 degree blade angles. and, And there's other manufacturers out there that have them as far as 55, 60 degrees, which gets really flat. You're trying to chop through. And in some scenarios where you're shooting 20 yards with a bunch of energy out of a tree stand on a controlled environment, you can punch anything through. Right. But, but having, you know, for me out West here, having that swept back blade angle and, and, and a moderate cut is key, whether it's a fixed blade or a mechanical to getting penetration on larger animals or longer distance shots, et cetera. So blade angle is a huge factor. And I, I think this also plays into the conversation
0: about number of blades because when, when you look at the, to get a bigger blade angle, you need a longer ferrule and, and, and to get a bigger cut, you need an even longer ferrule if you want to maintain the blade angle. And so now you got two things and you're going to have, I mean, if you want to have a two inch cut with a, with a 30 degree blade angle, I mean, you're, I would, your your is going to be like five inches long, or something. Yeah, and you
2: your, know, your your blade's going to be two inches long each. You know, to to get that cut out of out of that kind of blade angle. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, so and, you can oh,
0: maintain ahead. some blade angle and and keep your cut by adding blades, isn't that right, Matt?
2: Yeah, for sure. And and that's where um, you know, let me explain something really quick. I as the industry measures cut diameter. Um, I, I feel it's a little misleading, right? A cut diameter is measured in a circumference. So whether you have two blades, three blades, or four blades, the industry measures cut diameter in a circumference. So if if you have a two blade inch and a half cut broadhead, the cut di- it's labeled as an inch and a half cut. If you have a three blade inch and a half cut diameter broadhead, it is labeled as an inch and a half cut. If you have a four blade, inch-and-a-half-cut diameter broadhead, it is labeled as inch-and-a-half-cut. And And they're not the same. They are not even close. Evan, you're big on four blades, right? Is that why? Yep. That four-blade model has double the cut surface and what we call linear cut, total blade surface, meaning if you push your broadhead, actually push your broadhead through a piece of paper and measure how much paper is cut, that is what linear cut is. And, And to me, that's what a guy needs to look at when selecting a broadhead Not what the the package says is a cut diameter, but what what the total amount of blade surface is on that broadhead that I'm trying to push through the animal, and then what blade angle are those blades at as far as resistance goes. So those are the factors that a guy really needs to look at when he's selecting a broadhead for penetration, because a two-blade inch and a half cut and a four-blade inch and a half cut are two totally different animals as far as the amount of blade surface and resistance you get pushing it through an animal. And the two blade inch and a half may work for, for well for someone with light poundage. The four blade inch and a half is not going to. So it's a little misleading how the industry advertises cut diameter, but look at linear cut. Think about it that way. Push it through a piece of paper. How much paper are you actually cutting? That's what really matters when it comes to to a broadhead selection.
1: Evan, so, so why do you choose the four blade? Increased cut. And if you think about it, okay, imagine muscle tissue, okay? Muscle tissue has grains. Most of the time it's going to run vertically, especially in undulates. So if I take a two blade and I put it right where I need to, but I put it vertically through that hide, as soon as that animal takes a step, it's going to close back up. He takes another step, it might open, takes another one, it's going to close back up. So I lose blood trail even with a larger cut. You take a four blade, and you hit them in the same spot. My diameter cut might be smaller, but again, measure the linear, the the cross-sectional cutting diameter. There is nowhere that animal can go that that hole can close up. It is there. Blood will be coming out. Yeah. So you if you might they have move, to fill that chest cavity up, if, but it's if it's they going move to get there. so it
0: closes one one of the 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 ways the cut is, then the other one opens. And mm-hmm. if it moves the other way, then the other one opens. That's interesting, Evan. Never thought of it. Yeah, yeah, Good. I
2: fully agree. Um, you know, there's benefits to three and four blade. I'm a huge fan versus a, a slit. I like a hole versus a slit. Um, and and like you mentioned, Alan, by going more blades, you're able to get your cut diameter out of a smaller overall length blade and profile broadhead, um, which in in my opinion has huge benefits in itself as well. So um, I, I've shot a lot of animals and, and been on a lot of blood trails with different Configurations of cuts. And there's no doubt uh, a well placed triangular or square shaped hole puts more blood on the ground than a slice, mm-hmm. in my opinion. A two yeah. blade slice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I, there's been studies done on that too. I remember Dave Holt uh, years ago in Africa did a penetration study on two blades versus three blades. And the results were something like, Um, the two blade had around 20% more penetration, but the three blade has 50% more cut. Mm -hmm. So you're getting, you know, more trauma out of three blade versus the two blade. Now in some low poundage scenarios, that extra penetration might be critical. You know, if you have somebody shooting a 40 pound bow, let's say, but in most modern high speed scenarios that I I would assume, I mean, maybe not, but. Personally, I'd rather have a little bit more trauma, you know, or, mm-hmm. or 50% more trauma trauma versus slight a slight advantage yeah. in penetration. Cause these days we're driving our arrows into the dirt anyway, most of the time. Yep. Absolutely.
2: I, I fully agree.
0: Okay, so um, so that's I that's a great list of pros for fixed blade. To summarize, I made notes here. Uh simpler, so less can go wrong. You can build them durable and 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 tougher. Um, the knife in the chest phenomenon of those, those blades continuing to work as, as the animals running, if you don't get a pass through um, the shoulder bone was brought up. Uh, but we, but we realized that we're kind of, see, this isn't a, this, the, the, the question isn't fixed blade versus it's fixed blade versus mechanical, not giant cut versus small cut. So some of mm-hmm. these are a little bit kind of inherently to a fixed blade, it's going to be smaller most of the time. Um, and then the blade angle was a great point also that was brought up there at the end. Okay. So let's talk mechanicals now. Uh, what are the pros and, and potentially cons? Uh, I, I don't know if we're getting into the cons as much, they kind of, uh, work into the conversation. So what are the pros of a mechanical?
2: Um, you know, to me, number one is accuracy, um, accuracy year that's that's the true reason a mechanical broadhead was designed you know twenty years ago when mechanicals really started hitting the scene a little over that actually but and in the beginning there were some real faults but but the the real reason guys started chasing mechanicals as bows got faster and faster compound bows um, people started flighting planing and accuracy issues with their fixed blade broadheads so looking for a solution for accuracy mechanical broadheads came to pass, right? How can we make something low profile in flight that doesn't have any drag, um, that's closer to our field points, but then opens up and gives us the cut diameter we want. So that balance of, of accuracy and being able to maintain a little more cut diameter, um, to me, those are, are by far the biggest benefits. And I've, I've heard it said, um, Oh, mechanicals are for lazy bow hunters that want, don't want to do the setup. Well, that's fine. You know, you can say that, but but I don't consider myself a lazy bow hunter, right? But I do feel more lethal with a mechanical um, as far as just I put in all the effort I need to to get my setup right and tune my bow and, and make it shoot anything I want. But I truly believe that I get better forgiveness and better accuracy if i if I make a little shooting mistake or the wind's blowing a little bit or whatever, I feel like overall, I get better. Forgiveness, better accuracy with a mechanical broadhead. I think I think
0: the wind is a huge point yeah, there, Matt. Yeah, I, I,
2: it's one thing to on a calm day to
0: get a fixed blade to fly. You put them side by side in the wind; it's a it's a different. I, I shoot them both, and it's a, it's a different world.
2: Right. So, to me, that combined with um, the ability to get a little more cut, and I and I'll I'll say this honestly: I am not a huge cut diameter guy, um, but I like a moderate cut mechanical, um, and I'd like a little more cut than I can get out of a fixed blade for sure. I feel that gives me the the best all around performance out of my setup. Um, so being able to maintain a bigger cut with accuracy, um, and forgiveness, you know, it, are the biggest factors to a mechanical for me.
0: Okay. So you're saying accuracy and, and cut. Correct. Those are, those are it. Okay.
2: And forgiveness, you know, that goes along with accuracy. But when I say forgiveness, I mean, I can still get away with a good mechanical broadhead. If I'm in the back country and I tweak my setup a little bit, I can still make it work. I've tested it. I've mm-hmm. gone back to camp where I absolutely could not get a fixed blade to work in that scenario. Um, I can rig my bow in camp and make it, make it shoot a field point and a mechanical, very accurate and well, but that, that fine, that fine line of a little tuning issue or whatever. Um, cause I fell on my bow, ruined my hunt with a fixed blade. I, I, I've been in that scenario. Um, I also, you know, the elements, I just feel like, yeah, you, I can get a fixed blade to fly true for me under the perc- perfect circumstances and under perfect execution of a shot. But I don't always do that under a hunting scenario, you know. Uh, I don't. I'm not a. I wouldn't consider myself a world class shooter. I'm a good shooter, but um, you know, I don't always execute perfectly. And and mechanical is definitely a little more forgiving. Okay, that makes okay.
0: sense. You know, I, I think that the, the trade offs are interesting. You know, when we look at this lists of this list of pros for each, you know, I, I've I've said before. If if I'm if I'm gonna you know at the perfect shot we think we've all agreed that the perfect shot like right through the center of the lungs you really it doesn't matter what you shot and, and so it comes down to like those marginal shots and if I'm hitting something you know straight through a, a thick part of the shoulder blade I want a seven eighths inch sing, uh, you know uh, two blade cut on contact like I want the tiniest legal head the toughest slimmest Easiest head to get through that shoulder blade. But if I accidentally hit something back a little high in the guts, I want a two inch four blade mechanical. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I, it's one of those things, man. I wish I could change it mid flight. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but, but you can't. So, so then it comes to the trade-offs and where, so how do you settle on the difference between those two dramatic scenarios? And Evan, you've, you've settled on a, on a moderately sized fixed blade, uh, mm-hmm. a four blade. And, and, uh, and Matt, you're saying you settle with, a, a a decent cutting diameter mechanical that you're, you're, you're banking more on accuracy and, and then, you know, some, some extra cut if you're off, you know, one thing that drives me crazy is people, people will, will not give the other side of the argument. Uh, they won't give it credibility. You know, Mm -hmm. the mechanical guy won't give the fixed blade credibility in the shoulder, but that, you know, you'll see a guy say, well, I tried a mechanical once and, uh, or I, I shot mechanicals for years. I've heard this. I shot mechanicals for years and then I hit them in the shoulder and I didn't get my penetration. Well, how many animals did you recover that you hit too far back with that mechanical? Like give it credit where credit's due because it's going to perform much better in that scenario than a small fixed blade.
2: Um, Thoughts on that, guys? Yeah. Well, so for one, you bring up a great point. Um, there is no one-size-fits-all broadhead for every scenario. There's not a there's not a broadhead that's going to give you ultimate performance on every hit. Like you said, a, a, a little teeny solid two-blade fixed blade is your best option if you're trying to go through the shoulder. Where a great big mechanical is great. Going to save you if you hit something too far back. Um, so for me, I find middle ground with a moderate cut mechanical that gives me a little bigger blade surface. Matt, tell so us exactly it. what you mean by okay, that. So I shoot, I shoot a three blade inch and three eighths cut mechanical. It's a three blade mechanical. So with the inch and three eighths cut, I get just over two inches of total blade surface. I have a really swept back forty degree blade angle that that's larger than most fixed plates that I could get to fly. And that's smaller than some of these big, huge cuts because of that sweat back plate angle. If I hit something a little forward and I do get into that shoulder, which I will state, I avoid the shoulder like a plague. I do. I, I like to hit animals a little further back. And I, a conscience is, I, I have trained myself Consciously to do that um, because I feel there's some benefits there. But I also know and understand my setup, what I have on the end of my bow, and what I'm capable of, and what that broadhead's capable of, and I hunt accordingly. And I think that's a big thing that you brought up is number one, it's on the bow hunter to know and understand what they have on the end of their arrow and make a conscious decision to take the correct shots and be smart about it. If you're shooting a big two inch three blade mechanical, don't even think about trying to take a quarter towards your shot in the front of the shoulder. It's going to end badly and you should never do it. It's just an unethical shot. Um, and so, you know, I, I, think one, one of the most important factors is you being in confident in what you have, you selecting a broadhead that's going to work for you and your setup. Um, And that's what really matters, whether it's a fixed blade or whether it's a big mechanical, you know, and understand what you have, what your abilities are, what the broadhead's abilities are, and you hunt accordingly. Um, and I think a lot of guys expect, expect a big, huge mechanical to perform the same as a little teeny fixed blade. And that's not fair. And that's just, to me, a ignorant expectation that you would even think that, um, and if you go into a hunting scenario, knowing exactly what you have on the end of your arrow and what it's capable of, you've put in the time and the effort and the research, Um, you're not gonna be calling and complaining that you didn't get penetration because you're gonna know and understand what you should get out of that broadhead. Um, So when I say my middle ground is a moderate cut, sweat blade angle broadhead, um, it's not all that different than what Evan's shooting. Evan's shooting a, a Hades four blade inch and three sixteenths cut that's giving him almost the exact amount of blade surface is what i'm getting out of my three blade inch and three mechanical they have really comparable blade angles so in my opinion me and evan aren't that far apart even though he's a diehard fixed blade guy and i'm a diehard mechanical guy total blade surface wise we're really 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 close um evan has found a setup that shoots that big fixed blade well for him. Evans obviously knows what he's doing tuning a bow. He knows what he's doing shooting. He puts in the time and effort and energy to do so, and and props to him. That's a great option, a great lethal broadhead. I have found my my sweet spot to be in that inch and three eighths three blade mechanical. It's forgiving. It shoots incredibly accurately with my field points. Um, I, I just love the performance I get out of it, and you know, it it works for me. So, you know, we can look on paper, he's shooting a fix, I'm shooting a mechanical, but we're really, really close as far as our overall specs of our broadhead.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. And I I personally like more cut, you know, I'm shooting inch and a half, four blades mechanical.
2: Right. Yeah. Which is giving (laughs) you, giving you three inches of total blade surface, you know, a full inch above and beyond where kind of Evan and I are sitting. Um you so, know though Matt, I actually
0: do customize to a certain degree. I carry an inch and three eighths uh three blade in my quiver for a, a longer shot, and I actually carry a two inch four blade in my quiver as well for a 20 yard shot because yeah. I know I mean, I know my kinetic changes at those different distances and I feel comfortable shooting, and I know they I've I've shot all of them to know you know that the point of impact doesn't change. Yep. So um so Matt, you said something really interesting. I'd like to get Evan's thoughts on this too, about shooting something a little far, further back. I was, uh, I spoke at the Kuyu Mountain Academy last summer with Randy Ulmer. And one of the things Randy commented on was that he shoots things in the back of the lungs. He doesn't like getting anywhere close to that shoulder. Um, speak to that a well, little bit.
2: So yeah, I'm a big advocate for coming back off the shoulder, um, quite a ways, actually, maybe maybe a little more than, than most people do. And, uh, I've over the years, I've just found some huge benefits to doing so for one, if you really take a look at an animal's vitals, um, you know, the, the, the spot that gives you the largest room for error is not tight on the shoulder. It's just not, um, you know, a lot of guys have been trained maybe because they're grew up gun hunting or whatever to hold right on the shoulder or hold right on the crease. And that just doesn't translate well into bow hunting. In my opinion, um, getting far forward up into that crease near the shoulder for one it, when that animal moves, especially if that animal's legs straight or forward, when you shoot, it instantly seals off that hole to the chest cavity. So you're just not getting blood on the ground. Um, and two, you're probably going to hit the off shoulder and not, not possibly not get a, a, a full pass through, which that exit hole can be key to a, a good blood trail. So, so
0: Matt, I was, I was with, with uh, Spike Lewis once and I saw him make the most perfect shot I've ever seen in my life on a black bear. But it was what, what I thought at the time is years ago, he was tight to that shoulder. And we never found a single drop of blood. I mean, we searched all day long. And I mean, because it was, we even had a video. We knew exactly where he hit. And we never found a drop of blood. And we gridded. We did everything we possibly could. So have you, have you seen that happen,
2: that, that tight yeah, shoulder? multiple times. I've seen that tight shoulder shot where, where you get a little blood as long as the arrow is still in there, keeping a, a path for the blood out but that arrow shears off with the shoulder blade or whatever. And it just, that shoulder blade shifts back, the hide shifts. And now you just don't have a, a hole for that blood to flow out. It may be bleeding a bunch. So and you're throwing.
0: saying because of the moving part, because the mm-hmm. shoulder, the shoulder will actually cover the hole once the animal yeah, starts to move
2: animals. I'm sure both of you, when that animal dies and rolls and the, the, the hide or the skin shifts and, and the hole is completely now, plugged and sealed. You can't stick your finger in the broadhead hole, right? Well, it's the same thing. As soon as that skin and hide and shoulder blade shift back, it seals that hole off. So you're bleeding internally, but you're not getting any blood on the ground. And I've seen that so many times on that forward hit. Plus what guys, I've seen a lot of elk actually that were shot right on the crease, maybe mid body or a little up. And the elk's lungs and vitals really dive down right there. And you, you might clip the top of one lung, but I've actually literally seen more elk lost on that hit than any other hit. That really forward, tight to the shoulder crease shot, especially if that elk's slightly quartered away from you. So just over the years, even on an elk and elk's vitals are so huge, right? I'll come back several five ribs from that crease middle middle to the back of the lung where you have thin skin ribs a little bit of of flesh there's nothing there's no real fatty tissue there there's no moving parts you punch a hole and that hole does not plug and and i just see my best results my best blood trails um it also puts me in the center of the most forgiving part on an animal as far as um, if I miss a couple inches high or a couple inches low or a couple inches back, I'm still in the liver where when you start specifically aiming for a tight shoulder shot, and I'll say this too, I never specifically aim for the heart. I think that's a bad shot placement shot trying to aim at the heart. You're aiming at, if you hit a little low or a little back or a little forward, you're out of the kill zone. So not that the heart's not super lethal, but I just, you're playing with fire there. And the only time i actually shoot an animal intentionally in the heart is if I'm point blank trying to squeeze through a window in the brush or point blank on a, uh, I've killed a couple animals, point, point blank in the chest head on that kind of scenario. But other than that, I am a straight up come back several ribs from, from the crease of the shoulder, middle, the back of lung. I feel like it gives you the blessed blood trail, quick kills, the most forgiveness if you, you're you a little off on your shot. Um, and, and that's, that, that makes sense. You know, the, the rib cage, when there's a hole
0: in the rib cage, it is distinct. Very, like it blows that rib cage open and there's nothing that can shut that. Right. That's, that's quite a image. Actually. I've never thought about that, Matt. I really appreciate that. Cause you know, you, you do, you think back to those rib cage hits when it's right in the middle of the rib cage, it's like a giant hole that doesn't no, ever close moves,
2: up. Nothing closes. There's just nothing there to, you get, you get by any of the major extremities, you know, heaven forbid we hit something in the, in the paunch and, and you're dealing with a back leg, but same scenario you've got now you've got more flesh, more fat, more intestines, moving components of the legs um, that seal right. the holes. And it's the same thing with the front end. I like to come back, back along lung, middle of lung. It does not plug. It gives me a ton of room for, not that I'm shooting just blankly and hoping I hit something. I'm still picking my spot and have mentally trained myself where to shoot, but you know, reality happens. We animals move, we get excited, whatever, we miss a little bit, and that gives me a, a larger and and honestly, I would way rather not ever intentionally, I'd way rather hit something a little back than a little forward. I oh, yeah. always recover animals, I hit back. If I hit something forward, I I don't sleep, period, because I just know it's going to be a long shot that I recover that animal. The blood trail is going to be tough. I may or may not have got into something vital. It's just a bad scenario versus if I hit something a little back, I feel like I got liver or even back into the gut. Honestly, I know if I play my follow up correctly nine times out of 10, I'm going to recover that animal. I just feel that confidence. So I'm a, I'm a come yeah. back guy and shoot him a little further back period. Yeah.
0: And, and I agree with that.
1: That's great. Evan, have you had that experience at all? Um, I've trained myself. I actually come straight up the front leg. Um, and I'm aiming about 10 inches up from the belly, right up the back leg on the, on the front. Um, Typically what happens is that that front leg comes up and then, you know, we've all seen, it. we've all taken and broken animals down and that front leg comes up and then it jaunts forward towards the neck and then comes up and around. And there's that little golden triangle. And that's where I like to keep my pin one, because it gives me that nice reference in the crease of that shoulder. One thing I will do, depending on which direction that animal is facing is once I have that point of reference, I will bubble my bow towards his butt so that if I do make a, a bad shot, I'm going slightly back instead of forward into that shoulder. But for me and for my mentality, and again, coming from a firearms background, it's easier for me mentally to put that pin straight up the back of the front leg and hold there and just bubble a little bit. And, And I'm not talking laying that sucker over. I'm talking like enough bubble at 50 yards. We're talking three, four inches which is essentially where it sounds like Matt is putting his pin and I can't do it mentally. Like I will, I will be jumping forward, trying to put that pin mm-hmm. up into that shoulder and bad case scenario, that shot breaks in that forward motion. And now you're in the shoulder. So what I found is, yeah. is aim where I'm comfortably aiming. I know that golden triangle. I know the potential's there to close that wound up, but if I bubble back slightly mentally I get to put it where I want And if I go back, i go back and you got a lot of lungs behind.
0: So Matt, Matt, to be clear with with what Evan's saying from straight up from the leg, you're talking maybe four inches behind that, right?
2: Right. And, and if you go straight up from the leg, like Evan said, you go straight up the leg bone and then the shoulder kind of jets forward, you know you're good. It's a very lethal Mm -hmm. shot, but yeah, I actually come back and I've trained myself to do this, you know, over the years. And, and honestly, just from shooting lots of animals, I've, I've consciously or subconsciously just, that's my aiming point. Right. And, and, but I come back, if you come straight up the leg and went back center body about, you know, three ribs, that's my aiming point. Um, and, You know, when I, I went to Africa years ago and their vitals sit a little further forward Mm -hmm. and I had the same problem. Evan is talking about it. It was, I had to train for it all season to mentally be able to hold far forward on those animals. Cause if I would have shot them where I normally shoot an elk or a mule deer, it's a gut shot. So I had to literally fight it. It's like part target panic, you know, trying to come forward on that the African plains game, you know, trying to come forward on their shoulder where their vitals sit. Um, it was a hard thing for me. So I get what Evan's referring to really, you know, we all have, but it sounds to me like Evan will agree that his error is calculated to be back. If anything, mm-hmm. he wants to hit him where he's aiming or back. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of problems and, and I've been on hundreds of blood trails, literally, and. A huge percentage of lost animals are that forward hit a little too far forward behind the shoulder, but slightly quartered forward or too tight or a little high right there. And it it just spells trouble in my opinion. And, And that's, it's been for me, it's just been proof in the pudding. I've, I've trailed a lot of animals and those are the ones that it's like 50, 50 or less that we recover them.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, that's, that's a great piece of advice. And I'll, I'll say, Matt, you're in, you're in good company with, uh, Randy Ulmer <laughs> saying that, that he, yeah, he shoots in that, that I'll same really spot. So, so, yeah. So, um, right on. So Matt, tell us a story of a time, a broadhead made the difference for you.
2: Oh, well,
0: or any, any, any story you just love. I, <laughs> I mean, shoot this, the this is animals
1: perfectly broadside, right that's in the right. lungs. They drop I, within 30 yards.
2: I, I never, <laughs> ever make a bad hit, ever. So, um, <laughs> no, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I hate to admit my, my, uh, my faults. Um, you know, honestly, one that jumps out to me um, years ago, four or five years ago, I drew a a limited entry bull elk tag here in Utah. And I, I, uh, man, I worked my guts out. Our, our archery season here in Utah can be tough, right? The limited entry, the year I had it, I think the hunt ended on the, the 11th of September. And, and so it's early season. It's hot. Just getting into the rut when the hunt's over. And, and I'd been, uh, I was nine days straight in, on my own, I'd been out nine straight days towards the end of the hunt. I'd slated the last ten days to just pound it um, and uh, I was I was just I was literally just trashed you know you know what that many days in the back country and i I just on the last on a whim i I decided to go for a Hail mary. I packed out of where I had been. It just wasn't panning out. The bulls had kind of left my area and and uh, I went to a new spot drove there, hiked down in this hole. And I got these three bulls fired up and, uh, worked them till dark and, and actually had them come in. I just was out of light. And one bull was a good, solid bull. And, uh, I had, so the next morning I went and slept up by my truck. I was out of food and just, I just was gutting it out and, uh, so I go back in the next morning in the dark and I'd, I'd called my, I'd gotten to the top of the ridge that night and I'd called my elk hunting mentor, um, that taught me how to elk hunt. He's 70 years old now. And I, I called him, he lives in Montana. His name's Mike Lowry. And I called him up and said, Mike, you know, I had these bulls fired up right, right at dark. And, and they came in, I ran out of light. What should my strategy be in the morning? And so he, he, uh, he told me, man, get back to the exact same spot you were calling from in the dark and start calling just like you were. He's like, those elk, you know, they were, they came looking for you. If they didn't wind you, they didn't find you, you know, they, they're all worked up. So I did what he said. I got back in there in the dark, down in this hole, got to the exact same tree, started calling exactly the same way. And instantly those same bulls just went crazy. And this time they were hot. So I ended up calling in this, this raghorn five point and he went twice to eight yards. And he just, I knew he was going to blow the whole scenario. And he finally left. And the bull I was wanting to kill finally committed and came, came up through this clearing. And, uh, you know, I'm just on this rollercoaster of, of emotions at this point, I'm tired and I'm lacking food and energy and, but I'm, you know, it's down to the wire, and this bull comes up through this clearing, just like I had scripted it, but he starts quartering away from me, and I hit him with the range finder, 55 yards, and uh, and just, you know, everything's happening quick, and I get drawn. Well, he takes a couple steps, and I thought he'd stayed broadside, but he'd actually quartered away from me a little bit, and he was, you know, an elk in a couple steps, covers a lot of ground. So when I took the shot, aiming at my aim point, I was about 5 yards off. He'd moved to about 60. So I hit him low under the lungs right behind the heart. He runs off. I saw exactly where I hit him and I was just deflated. I was just you know, I'd, I'd given it everything and everything had worked out just to a T and I just didn't execute a great shot like I needed to. I I I was off 5 yards and I shot low. So I laid there and laid there and and uh thought about it and and went over and looked at my arrow on blood and and uh you know just from past experience on that hit I knew it was going to I didn't know if the elk would die but I knew he would get pretty pretty sick in a short period of time if I didn't push him so I literally sat there and waited all day and um ended up getting down on a trail I lost blood there wasn't a lot of blood that there's a lot of gristle and fat right down there. And it just kind of, you know, I wasn't in any kind of major vitals. And so I just wasn't spraying blood. It was just a little trickle and I followed enough blood to get on his trail. I waited as long as I could wait that day, took my shoes off, got the wind right and just started slipping down this trail in my socks with an arrow knocked long story short after about eight hours after initially shooting him, I was able to slip up on that bull. He was alive. He stood up, but he was sick enough. And he had got sick enough from that, in my opinion, from that little larger cut mechanical. I'd really opened him up, even though it wasn't in a a great position. He'd got sick enough and stayed close enough because I didn't bump him that I was able to slip in and finish him off eight hours later um, that same evening down to the wire. So I, I really, you know, that was one of the most emotional roller coasters I've been on that 10 day stretch um, to have it all come down like that, be able to, to be able to sneak in and, and finish him off with a really, really marginal hit. I feel like he, he got sick quick and stayed close because I opened up a little bit bigger hole in him than if I had had a little fixed plate. Um, and I was able to seal a deal on a, on a great Utah bull, not, not as, Picture perfect and pretty as I'd hoped it'd be, but I got the job done. Um, played my cards right, and it right all on.
0: happened. So, yeah, it sounds like some great decision making there too. Well, guys, uh, that was a pleasure. I mean, the two of you and I learned a ton. Um, I'm sure our listeners really appreciate the expertise. Matt, you're an absolute expert on this stuff. Uh, there's a ton of credibility uh, coming from you with all of your years of experience, both hunting and you hear every hunting story in the world in the broadhead manufacturing industry. So, um, we, we really appreciate you taking time and, uh, that's what we got today, folks. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks
2: guys. been a
1: pleasure. Appreciate it. See ya.